Hello, and welcome to the Film Design Podcast. I'm your host, Max Lincoln. Liz Tonkel is a production designer and artist working across various mediums. Her latest film, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, is a live-action animation hybrid. Tunkle and I am a production designer and artist. And so how did you get into the arts department? Um, so I've always been had a lot of varied interests, but all of my interests are in the arts. <laughs> and so when I was young, I was always my passion was always to be in the arts and I did a million different things. I was like really seriously into dance. Um, and, uh, training to be a dancer. And then I sort of, when I was trying to figure out going to college, I was like, do I want to go to school for fashion design? Do I want to go for film or dance? Like I had all these interests and things I was pursuing. And then I was like, I want to go to film school. Cause I feel like that would sort of allow me to do so many different things. Um, and like keep all of that going. And while I was at film school, I, was focusing on directing and also I, I realized that the part of it that I really was excited about besides that was like what's in front of the camera and like creating worlds and um so I started taking classes there in production design there weren't many and then I basically just started trying to design anybody's project I could while I was at school um so when I came out of school it was like okay, no one's going to hire me to direct anything, but I can get a job in the art department. And so I started working in the art department. And as I was doing that, I was like, oh, I really want to go back to school and like get even better at this. So then I went to graduate school and studied scenic design and, and studio art there. And, um, Yeah. And then since then, I've just sort of continued to like toggle between doing both things. But I think what kind of led me there was it felt like it was this place where I could be kind of directorial, but I also could get hired. And I also got to be like, really a part of the my favorite part of filmmaking, which is sort of like the world behind it. And um yeah, I feel like I don't know if I answered that very well, no, but that's, uh, absolutely. that's where and, my brain goes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's also like quite a few crossovers between directing and design because you're coming up with a characterization for the actual locations themselves. Um, yeah. Did you find that that informed your practice somewhat? Oh, 100%. I mean, to me, like my job and like the function of the design is to like deepen the narrative, like everything that I'm creating and putting on set it's always like how does this help tell the story and why is this here and if it's not here to help tell the story if it's not something the characters would actually have then it shouldn't be here um so very much the way I approach design is like really trying to unpack the story and and see how I can help like you know bring more to it and tell this the director's director and or writer story in a more full way so you've started designing features uh what was the route that you've taken to get to this point did you start by assisting or have you always been working your way up as a designer a little bit of both i would say that i always did more design i I worked my way up definitely more as designing small small projects and assisting a little bit but definitely more just like getting in there making a lot of mistakes <laughs> and and designing projects um yeah I would definitely like so I went to NYU for college and at NYU I mean part of the beauty of being a production designer in a film program like that is most people are focusing on directing so there were so many projects for me to hey, say hey will you let me design your short Um, so while I was there, I, I gathered a lot of those and then 
when I got out of school, it was sort of a, a crazy moment because I was in New York and that's when the writer's strike happened and the recession. So it was just like all of a sudden there was they weren't making anything. And so I was I've actually there was a lot of reality TV happening in New York then. So I would um assist on some of those kind of reality shows. I ended up designing one, um, which were definitely just a lesson in like organization and some of like the lot like logistical nightmares and, and hardships of being a production designer. So it was actually kind of a good boot camp. Um, but yeah, and then it was just sort of like as soon as people that I knew from like my my college days started getting like itty bitty amounts of money to make move like a feature. I was like, sure, I'll do it. Like you're, you know, a hundred thousand dollar movie. I'll do it. So it was just sort of like me constantly like trying to be like, Hey, I'm here. I'll design your project, even though it's going to be probably a nightmare because you have no money. And did you find that you've been kind of like rising with your peers at the same time, like kind of working on quite a few of the projects and building with that? Yeah, I mean, it's always challenging because, like, you know, there's so much to learn and, like, you know, it's easy to look back and be like, oh, I made so many mistakes. But everyone's sort of making mistakes and you kind of have to do, like, being a production designer is such a challenging job because you need such a varied skill set. And you can't just know that when you're, like, 25. You have to kind of be go through the war of it all. And so... Yeah, I definitely, you know, feel like I've, the people that I've really connected with, we've continued to work together. Um, I think one thing that's challenging as a production designer in like the way that Hollywood is kind of structured is like directors often are given chances to move up very quickly, like if they prove themselves directing a feature. But as a designer, you have to prove yourself over and over and over at different budget levels. So sometimes it's hard to rise with your peers because like the studio system and all that kind of prohibits it. And also in terms of genre and stuff, like people look at your work and they kind of look for something that's appropriate to their work. So you might actually be a fantastic horror designer, but if you've only ever done rom-coms, they just might point blank not believe that it's possible. Oh, 100%, which is crazy because the job is really like being a chameleon. And like, Mm. I think all the good production designers I know, it's like you can design any kind of thing. But I, I think that's such a great point. And I feel like I've really, I mean, I've, I've really always picked a variety of kinds of projects. And so to kind of like show my versatility. And I think as I've gotten to be more experienced, now I'm just super, super choosy. And I'm like, is this the kind of project that I want? you know people to associate me with because that's what's going to happen anyway so um yeah it's something I definitely think about a lot is just like you know what what kind of projects I really want to get and what are the projects that are going to lead me there Mm. and what would you say would be your ideal trajectory of future projects like where do you where would be the ideal kind of point to, to head towards um It's such a hard question because I feel like it's so project specific to me. Like I'm open to doing almost anything if I connect with the material. I think it's really important to me that like there's a a reason to make a a movie that like, you know, it has something to say about our culture, you know, has you know, I relates to things that are important to me, like animals and, you know, queer people, disability, like uh, feminist issues, like things like that. I feel like that's what I really look for, but I feel pretty open otherwise, as long as I feel like it's something that is, you know, meaningful to me. I like, I, it doesn't, like, sometimes I really like projects that the design is kind of invisible. Like it's, it just looks like a real place. But if it's, if it's a good story, then I want to be a part of it. Um, I mean, I do love things like Marcel that do have like, you know, fantastical little elements or creatures. I love, I love cute little things. Um, I, you know, I, 
a huge like Harry Potter fan. I mean, not so much JK Rowling, but like I love Harry Potter. So things like that are exciting to me to like maybe one day be a part of stuff like that. But I, I, to me, it's really just like good storytelling. Like, do I love the script? Do I connect with the director? And do like, I like the, the reason for making the project. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I think that's a really great way to look at things. And on the topic of Marcel, which is um, a great reason to for us to be both chatting, really. Um, so Marcel, the shell with shoes on, is a one-inch small shell with no arms. Um, and you were just saying to me slightly before that it was a combination of um, animation and some kind of like uh, VFX. Would, I'd love to just kind of hear more from you and then maybe I'll ask some bits. It'd be great. Great. So... Um... Yeah, so basically Marcel's a really special kind of movie that they never make, which is a mixture of live action and stop motion. And so the reason they never make movies like that is it's a really big challenge. Um, it just, it's, it's like a great math problem. There's so much to figure out, um, so many logistics and... Um, one thing that was super special about this project too, is that, um, basically everything but the, but Marcel and his peers was live action. So like if Marcel had to move something, we had to do that in our live action shoot. So we had to find magical ways to make things move and create all these like practical gags because it was very important to Dean, the director, that and Kirsten Lepore, the animation director, that um, that everything feel really real and that the items that Marcel was interacting with didn't weren't staccato or like you know felt more stop motion world. So um, yeah. So could you give us some examples of some of the practical elements that would have been in Marcel's world? Sure. Um, well, so much of, of the, the process or, and also a lot of this happened with Dean and, um, Nick Paley, his co-writer's script was just sort of figuring out how Marcel navigates around the human world. So one of the main ways is a tennis ball. So they had this brilliant idea that Marcel was able to kind of zoom from room to room in a tennis ball. Um, but Dean wanted to actually be able to shoot this tennis ball. And so a normal tennis ball, you know, kind of has a lag and stops and can't really like zoom around corners. So we literally had to source a robot that we could retrofit and paint and make look like a real tennis ball for <laughs> to move around the house. Um, that was one thing. Another was, uh, there are these little berry, ginkgo berries that, um, Marcel has like a catapult and throws. We had to make like a catapult for those. Um, and all of this had to work without like a human hand looking like it's activating it. You know what I mean? So everything had to be off screen, like behind the scenes rigged to move. Um, so did you end and, up having some puppeteers getting involved with the stop motion as well? Yeah. So we had a puppeteer who had come in and like actually do the manipulation on camera because of SAG. But, um, we, my team had to actually figure out how they were doing whatever they were coming to do most of the time. Wow. So we had to like build these items, um, yeah, so there's a lot of things like that. Like Marcel like travels up and down on like the the little like drawstring for blinds. We had to figure out how to make that move. Um yeah, just just all these little like detail things that when you watch the movie in an exciting way, you're not gonna notice at all. But it so much work and in, went into you not being able to notice that. Yeah, you so know? there's actually tons of world building involved in every single element. Correct. So yeah. in terms of actually designing such a kind of a small world within our own, um, how did you go about it? Did you start to kind of come up with mood boards or did you just like, what was your process of coming up with each each location? Yeah. Really? Well, I feel like what was super helpful on this was Mar 
or um, Dean and Jenny had already created like such an iconic world in the shorts. And so it was sort of like looking at those, speaking with Dean about what was important to him and then like what kind of rules were important to take from those shorts and bring into like this larger world of Marcel. Um, And Dean, like he's such a imaginative and like he's just such a great my creative mind so he had like such strong ideas already so a lot of what we sort of talked about was like everything that was in Marcel's world had to be something from our world that was repurposed or um yeah basically repurposed either by like re Marcel and his peers sort of doing something to alter it or just as is so I think that was a really good rule because a lot of things end up being really cute in it, but the, but the, they're not built with the intention to be cute. They're, everything is always from a functional standpoint. Like, why would Marcel have this? He would have it because he needs to eat on something or he needs to sit somewhere or sleep in something or wants to look at something on his bedroom wall. But it was never like, oh, this thing just looks really cute in here. It was like trying to really avoid that because then it didn't feel real. And I think it's really important that even though Marcel is such an adorable, cute character, part of what makes him so relatable is that his world feels real and feels like a distillation of the human world. So that was that was really the biggest thing, was just sort of like going from human scale to Marcel scale and seeing how things could go between. So how involved was the creation of all of the props on the sets? Um, for example, did every item have to go through a prop maker, model maker, or did you actually find objects from around and about and just dress them in? It was a real mixture, like kind of like I was saying, it was kind of dependent, you know, like something like, a, you know, when you get a pizza from a pizza place and they put those little things to keep the top mm. from hitting the pizza. We have like a little Italian restaurant set and we're like, those are the perfect table because they make sense and they're now in his scale. Um, so something like that, it was literally like us just sourcing and putting in. But there were other things that, you know, had to be, you know, that Marcel would have altered or that also had to be like slightly more fabricated that we worked with a couple of fabricators for them to actually build them and bring in. Because one of the biggest challenges of the project was that we shot the live action portion but then literally the stop motion team had to reshoot Marcel in every single frame of the movie stop motion. So that would mean like my desk area, like a three foot radius around Marcel, anything that was in that had to be preserved and go to stop motion. So there was like a lot of a huge archiving process. And it also meant like we had to because we shot in a on a proper location any surfaces there we had to replicate and give to stop motion so that they would match in in the stop motion portion amazing and in terms of the archiving process was that something that was very much the art department or did you ended up kind of getting external help how how did that work no it was very much the art department <laughs> of course it was yeah um it was very much like literally the moment we shot Marcel's bedroom and it was done shooting for the live action portion i had a person on my team who would take it all box it all up label everything create a spreadsheet that labeled it all and then it would go to the cold storage so it was a huge part of our job um, and it was like imperative that we do it very clearly and so yeah took a lot of time <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> um so the actual character design was that something you had um any input in or for the rest of the the shells or was that because i know obviously Marcel's, marcel is a kind of a is a known entity but um yeah were you involved in the rest of it no, um, Kirsten Lepore, who's an amazing director and animator, um, she was the animation director on Marcel and she worked for years with Dean to kind of 
um, slightly alter Marcel's design and then also create Nana Connie, the other main character in the movie, and then the other shells that we meet in the movie. So it was really like her brilliance that created the characters. So the film itself seems to be about loneliness and finding connections and family. Um, how did you kind of inter- uh, kind of incorporate those themes into the set design and the world building? Um, well, Dean had found um, this house location that he fell in love with that he really wanted to shoot at. Um, that wasn't even a normal shooting location. He had to like, like he, this was before I even came on. He spent a long time, you know, courting the owners of this house to let us shoot there. Um, and this house is sort of like, I think in in the film it appears smaller, but it's a pretty like big, beautiful home. And so it was already kind of a perfect container for Marcel because it had this vastness, but at the same time, like a coziness and like a sense of kind of, um, like, like the actual home, the homeowners who live there raise their children there. So there is this sense of history to it. And I think that was important to kind of maintain and also bring out in Marcel's world. So, um, just thinking about how we kind of like showed space, what was, what was still in it, because also the, in, in the movie world, the film has sort of been this home of a, couple who one of them kind of this isn't in the script but in like Dean and I's logic had sort of inherited the home from her grandmother um so it was sort of this larger home than a young couple would normally live in and then after the sort of demise of their relationship it's become an Airbnb so it was sort of like how how do we sort of show this place that used to have more family and history, then it kind of becomes more of like a a place that Dean's character is living when he's in transition after losing a relationship. And also for Marcel, how um, it went from a place where he lived with his full community to just him alone. And so I think the ways that we did that were just sort of like showing pieces, you know, in when he's watching 60 Minutes with by himself, you see how there used to be places for his whole family to watch. Um, or like the garden that Nana Connie has, that it's sort of this vast space where many shells could have used to like work out every day, but now she's tending to it by herself. So sort of showing um, more more room around them and like just kind of these abandoned spaces or these spaces that Marcel and Nana Connie are trying to keep up, but are sort of bigger than they can maintain themselves. Um, And then also, you know, there's a lot about kind of like loss and grief in the film and sort of thinking about the way that the shells would mark, you know, the passing of their community, uh, what they, how, where they would sort of go to grieve, how they would like deal with that. So um, just thinking about what those things looked and felt like. Fantastic. I'm excited to see it. And um, another film that you've designed, which um, still isn't out yet technically, but was at Sundance in 2022, I guess this year, obviously, um, Emily the Criminal. (laughs) Um, It feels like a bit of a change um, tonally, very much so. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. Yeah, that was such an exciting project for me because it was so different than something like Marcel. Um, And the filmmaker, John Patton Ford, is this incredible human being who um, has such a specific, or has such a specific view of Los Angeles that he really wanted to capture with the film that I feel like I hasn't, is not one that audiences are familiar, familiar with, but people that live in Los Angeles, like myself, are which is sort of like this gritty burnt out kind of like you know people barely scraping by and um I really connected with that project when I read it because I felt like I had never 
seeing someone write about these issues that I feel like people of my generation have really struggled with, which are student debt and also like wanting to, um, like sort of being trained to, for a world that no longer exists. So sort of like you do everything right. You go to college, you get a degree, you, you know, and then literally you come out into the world and there's no infrastructure for you. There's no way to get a job. There's no way to like pay your bills. And so, um, I just really connected with it. Um, and it was really important to me that Aubrey Plaza's character, Emily, like her world, felt very real and like true to what that character would actually be up against and live within rather than like, you know, the, the apartment from friends. <laughs> so, um, there like that film, it was really important that we like, basically it was crazy. I think it was something like 44 locations in the script, wow. which is insane for an indie movie of that budget. And so, and on top of that, like many films at that budget level will do something where they shoot on a bunch of, you know, uh, pre-existing sets that you just set dress. But it was so important to John and I that the spaces be real. So we spent so much of the process just location scouting and looking for places that are we never see in movies and finding like some really incredible gems in Los Angeles. But also some of that meant we would find like Emily's apartment was a completely vacant apartment that we had to completely fill out, um, which is a lot on a movie like this with the budget and the time constraint and the crew size. So, um, how did you, I mean, yeah. bearing in mind, you, you I, I can imagine the budget was quite tight. And as you're saying, like the prop team would have been, um, inundated with, dressing and striking like how do you decide what's the most prior like what are the priorities in terms of these spaces um and what can't you live without that's a great question i guess like verisimilitude or like the honesty truth behind the space to me is the most important thing so i would rather find an amazing wall or an amazing empty room that feels real to the world than like try and put um, I don't like this, uh, this, uh, analogy, but like put lipstick on a pig, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, of course. I, like I, sometimes I, yeah. we, we would scout places and I'd be like, but this is from a totally different culture. Like this wall color is totally wrong. Like for me to redo this room, even though it looks like it's full and ready, will be so much more work and time. And I'd rather uh, John and I get creative and figure out how to make something else work. Like we had one issue where we had this amazing location for um, Yousef, like the male lead in the movie's mother's home. We had this really great location. Um, she's supposed to be from Lebanon. Um, so it's important that it sort of like speaks to a certain culture and it fell through like two days before you're supposed to shoot it. So what we ended up doing was, uh, the apartment building where we were shooting Emily's apartment had this back courtyard and we're like, let's just shoot in the back courtyard and get a bunch of hedges and different greenery and new furniture and make that feel like it's her, the mom's backyard rather than trying to find an interior where we'd have to like start from scratch. So it was trying to be smart and nimble like that of like, what do we have access to that we can, you know, repurpose to make work for us. And in collaborating with John, it, it sounds like he was very adaptable, which for a budget level like that is, is very, very necessary. Um, but how did it work um, in terms of the actual designing process and collaborating with the director? Yeah, I mean, I John is just, he's a real like unicorn in the sense that he is so, has such vision, um, but he is also such a caring, respectful person. Um, so he was so... He was like just such a wonderful person to collaborate with because he really treated me like an equal 
and really valued my expertise, um, which is a hard thing, especially for like a new director to have such like humility and such, um, you know, just respect for and gratitude towards his collaborators. So it was really special in that sense. And I feel like we also just had a real like friendship from the beginning, which is always really helpful. Um, and I think that him and I always just sort of saw eye to eye in terms of like the point of the movie and the like reason for making it and what it should look like. So sometimes it's just special where like you, from like our first interview, we just kind of connected, um, which isn't always the case, but I feel like when it is, it's really lovely because you already just have that shorthand. Um, and I think what was really important for us was just like doing a lot of research, um, into, you know, like a lot of image research and looking into what people, and, and also he had a lot of films that were touch points for him that I watched, um, and got more familiar with. Um, and yeah, I guess for that film, it was just like a lot of location scouting, like literally the moment they brought me on board, it was like, let's just start scouting as many places as we can. Um, but I think there was just like an inherent, like trust and sort of respect from the beginning so that it was just like our interactions were always really fruitful because of that. When you're, I guess when you're not working on features, you're also kind of doing live events and commercials and some kind of print work as well. Like how do you, how do you change and kind of adapt to each of those different projects? Yeah, well, I think it's always using the same skills, just kind of for different means. Um, so it's actually like a pretty easy transition. I, you know, I like doing those other types of projects just because I feel like they keep me nimble and they also allow me to sort of pick and choose the larger, more creatively challenging projects. So I found it to be a really nice balance to sort of between movies, um, pursue doing commercials or right now I'm doing like an immersive pop-up, um, things like that. Um, that's sort of like keep the lights on and let me wait till I like really connect with a director and a script because it's just so much more, I think the biggest difference for me in terms of my work is it's just I have such a different emotional investment when it's a movie or a TV show because it's like I feel like there's something I'm really trying to say and like um, an ideology for it behind it for me. Whereas when I'm working, you know, more commercially, you know, I don't want to work for certain vendors, but besides that, I'm, I'm very much there to kind of do my job, make it, you know, fulfill the, the needs of the job, but it's not the same sort of like, this is my art course, that I yeah. feel when I work on a movie. Um, yeah, so that, 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 that's the biggest difference. So when, when someone doesn't like something or something goes wrong, I don't have the same sort of emotional toll. <laughs> yeah for sure you know when a client complains about pillows it's it's less of a kind of a, a heart being ripped in part uh yeah yeah it's like okay you don't like green here you got red <laughs> yeah here's another lamp it's from ikea um, yeah <laughs> so uh, as a slight change in thing um you've you're represented you've got an agent like how do you find that relationship like what kind of tips and tricks have you developed over the years as to getting the best out of an agent well I feel absolutely blessed I feel like my the agency that I'm with and the agents there are like incredibly wonderful and I feel like you know I've I've had it I've been with different representation in the past but I feel really fortunate that my team now really understands who I am as an artist and where I'd like to go um and they're very much there's no pressure to ever take a meeting or take a job that doesn't feel that I don't feel aligned with and 
all of the meetings and everything they've sent me, I'm just like, wow, you really understand me. And I also feel like they, um, when I get on a Zoom interview with somebody who I've never met before, they like seem to immediately understand who I am and like what kind of my passion, what I'm good at, what I'm interested in. Whereas in the past, they were always sort of, I I felt like people would sort of balk at my interdisciplinary or be like, wait, Mm. you make performance art or what? Who is this person? Does this mean you're not focused or does this mean that you're kind of hyper-focused, you know? Yeah, sure. Exactly. And so now I feel like that's a way, the people that are responding to me, it's always a plus, not a negative Mm. or a confusion point. And so that, that just feels like to me, it speaks volumes about my team is that they really, um, understand who I am and are pitching me in a way that makes other people get that too. So I guess, you know, it's such a hard thing to give people advice on because it's such a, it's just like trying to be a production designer. It's, it's like, there's no clear way to do it. Um, I mean, I was able to get my new team because actually Bianca Klein, the DP on Marcel is represented with the same team. And so she's had such an amazing experience there that she was like, when I was sort of thinking of finding new representation, she was like, Liz, you should come to Innovative. Like, try them out. Like, I'll introduce you. I think they would love you. And then it worked out. But, you know, that's not always the case. But people always told me this in the past, but it's like, if, you, if you're trying to get representation, it's always hugely helpful if you have a friend who also you know, works with those same people and actually can give you real feedback about who they are. Well, that's it. You know, like they could be one of the best agents in the world, but unless you know fundamentally how they work, also they might actually operate in a way that doesn't work with you. So I know that some agents, you might talk to multiple people, whereas others, it's always the same person. And that might work for you, that might not. Well, yeah. I mean, what I when I first like was speaking with them, I got really excited because they're like, well, we all kind of work communally. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're like democratic socialists. Like, <laughs> I, I love, I, I can, I'm, I define as a democratic socialist. So I love this. This feels like it's totally in line with my like ideology in life. And like, I love that it's like a non-competitive environment where it's really about serving the clients. It's not about, you know, so many agencies now have so many um, competing interests, you know, like they're trying to package, you know, material They're So they're like more, they're more worried about the bottom line, whereas at Innovative, it's really about the artistry. And I feel like that's really rare and special. So I, I always generally ask people when they come on the show, um, what do you look for in an assistant and... Um, yeah, I guess advice to give to people who are looking to kind of not necessarily design, but just kind of develop their career within the art department or creative arts, I guess. That's a great, great question. To me, the most important thing is your personality. Like, are you, you know, are you going to be someone that we're going to want to spend a lot of time together and who is like a person who is like uh Like, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. Basically, somebody who went, you know, it being in the art department and working in, and working in film in general is very, very stressful. It's a very, you're being, you, like I literally say as a production designer, like I'm a professional problem solver. That's like all we're doing is just solving problems 24 hours a day. And so you have to, the ideal person to bring into the art department is somebody who's like nimble and like up to the challenge of trying to figure those things out. Um, like Jake Tremblay, who is my art director on Marcel, who I'm currently working on a different project with is an incredible example of that. Um, he is so skilled. He is so professional. He shows up every day, like ready to figure stuff out. Um, and, is very calm and also very direct. And so I I met him 
for the first time, he was a set dresser on a commercial that I did uh, maybe five years ago, four years ago. And I remember we were missing a graphic for something and we had a really tiny team. And he came up to me and was like, oh, I can make that graphic for you. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like, I want to be a designer. I know all these things. And it was just something about his like gung-ho attitude and his varied skill set. And I was just like, I'm going to call this person for every job now because they're like, they want to be a part of the team and they're like here like with their A game, like all the time. And that's not to say you have to be a perfect person. Like, you know, I get stressed out. Everybody gets stressed out. We all make mistakes. So I think the hardest thing that hurdle for me and like just pursuing being a designer is like making peace with making mistakes and that you're going to sometimes be snappy or rude or do this thing wrong. And it's just like, we're all human. That's going to happen. But like, how do you, how do you recover from that and learn from it? So, you know, I think it's, it's just really like when, when people are like, Oh, I know someone who might want to be in the art department. Like, what should I tell them? Or would you want to talk to them? I'm like, yes. The, the biggest thing is like your personality and like, just like being down for the challenge. I don't know if that answers the question well, but that's what I think No, I about. think I think that there's <laughs> there's um you know, there's lots in everything you said that I think people can take bits of. It's 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 difficult because people always want to work, I think, fundamentally with someone that they actually get on with. Um, but getting on with people can be quite difficult and it's a whole different skill it's in its own way. And I'm sure fundamentally you'll work with whoever's the best for the job, but it can't hurt that when you're on a night shoot with someone for a week that you don't hate them, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a, a really good point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I do think that, unfortunately, that's just a part of our world is like some people you're going to vibe with and some you're not. And so yeah. I, I do think there's nothing you can really do about that except just try to be, to show up, do your best. And, you know, yeah, but it is just an undercurrent that you can't really change. Um, It is also just super important to me to hire a diverse crew. I try really hard. Usually my art department is either queer people or women and uh, people of color. Um, It's really, really important to me that my crew be diverse and I, I, I'm always excited to be reached out to by people of color, queer people, women who want to be in the art department. Because I, one of the things I like least about this job is just how hetero white sets are. And I think it really shows up in the work. And so I, um, and I think it's my responsibility as a department head to really think about that when I'm hiring. Yeah, 100%. And you're literally the gatekeeper to, to make change. You know, every project you do, that could be hiring kind of 20, 30 or more people, potentially. Um, so I think it's very important to try and create a gender balance and and really kind of push for change, for sure. Um, also, I mean, it would make things slightly more interesting, you know, in terms of the, um, the actual oh set Because different communities and different mindsets will just know things that you just never would have even considered. A hundred percent. And like, I, I think that is so valuable. And I also think that to me, you know, it's just important to create an environment of like respect and inclusion. And I feel like so many, unfortunately, because it's such a stressful environment, there is like just a lot of rudeness that happens and like I'm not saying I'm perfect at it either um but I think it's like when you have a more diverse team I think they are pushing you to think about those things and to treat people uh to the best of your ability and so that's something I strive for both in my professional and personal life so I also it's important for me too to bring that to the set generally like um 
I feel like on many of the projects I've worked on, my team is by far the most diverse um, and will literally be in a sea of, you know, cis white men who often will, you know, I've had a lot of comments pointed my way about, oh, this person is flamboyant and they're like a distraction on set or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, I think you need to check yourself and realize that they're doing their job. And I mean, they're probably actually working harder than the person complaining on set anyway. Yeah, yeah. no, totally. Well, that's the thing is like people of color and, you know, queer people, women, we have to work harder inherently because we're discounted and like looked over. And so I, I, it's really important to me to, to do my part to help those people like get to the places they want to go. Cause I think that just makes art making better. Yeah. And when you're working on projects, are you also actively getting kind of trainees and doing mentorships and stuff to further expand groups? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that's really important to me. Like, like I said earlier, there's no clear path to being a production designer. It's very, depending on where you, what kind of projects you want to do. Like there's so many different ways to try and do it and none of them are foolproof. And so it's really important to me to try and share what I've learned with other people I meet who want to do this and especially people who I've worked under me and worked really hard. Um, so I'm always actively trying to share what I know with, you know, uh, other people and I learn a lot from them too you know there I mean that's the cool thing is like in the art department like I said you you have to have such a varied skill set that there's so much I don't know and there's so much that aren't my strengths so it's really exciting to me to work with other people and to learn from them and I don't know it's it's a I I, I hope that it's a very um symbiotic relationship and that we're we're both getting things from each other um i i try my best to not be for things to not be top down because there's some things that i might know better than them but there's a lot that i don't and so i try to be humble about that i mean the um the whole industry is so collaborative and um if you control everything i think you lose a lot of the um yeah a lot of fantastic possibilities um although ironically most of us are in one way or another control freaks as you'd imagine i don't know as much about the la film community but are there any specific groups or organizations that help and support unrepresented um, talent that you'd like to recommend um i think there's one called like dynamic girls uh yeah dynamic girls i think dynamic girls is more about um I think it's almost like a mentorship for high school students from like oh, underrepresented communities that want to get into filmmaking. And I've been, it's on my list to get in touch with them because I would love to work with people from that organization. Um, so I know there are some things like that. I wish I was more knowledgeable. I know there are some Facebook groups and I know that the ADG, the Art Directors Guild, which is the union that I'm a part of, has like a diversity initiative um, and are trying to find ways to be more inclusive. But I will say I wish there were more clear resources mm. um, and I would... I would love to hear from anybody who listens to this. Um, I would love them to point them in my direction because I do think one of the, one of the challenges to making the film industry more diverse is that everything happens so quickly that even when I have people reach out to me, I'll get a job and I have to crew up in like 24 hours. And so you're always going to people you know first. And so I think that just makes people lazy. And I think if there were, and not to say the work is on those other people to create those resources, like the work should be on people like me to 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 make an effort to find those people. But um, I do think that the more we can work communally to create those resources, the more opportunities there will be for people. Um, so I do think it's really important to put effort and time into that. Um, and I would like 
to push myself to be more involved. Um, I guess for a last bit, um, I noticed that you're also a magician. Um, I know it's less art department related, but I'd love to hear a bit more about that. And maybe it is art department related. Yeah, it's actually very art department related. Like, I feel like on Marcel, we use so many like sleight of hand magic techniques in order to pull off gags and other things like that. Um, And that's part of what was really exciting about it to me. And I feel like the projects that I'm drawn to often are pulling from those sort of magical techniques of, you know, how do we make something really theatrical with very little money or resources? Um, uh, Yeah, so I basically, I, you know, when I'm not production designing, I make my own artwork, which is often performance art or films. And in doing that, I started to get really interested in different magical techniques. And then I sort of um, started to really pursue learning magic and have been doing that for, I don't know, six or seven years, a long time. And um, right now I am developing a one woman magic show called Magic for Animals. That's all about... um, sort of uh, how we treat animals and therefore how we treat each other. And I I did, I premiered like a workshop version of that in LA in November. And I'm going actually to Denmark in August to perform it at a performance art festival, which I'm really excited about. Um, and my hope is to sort of develop it further over the next year and then tour it. Fantastic. Um, and are there actually yeah. any animals in the show or is that just more? No, of a, that, that's, that's theme? part of the point is that it's like a vegan magic show. I love it. Um, <laughs> that all, all the animal performers are faux. Um, love it. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Oh, great. Well, I, I look forward to seeing it when it comes to the UK. Yeah. It hopefully <laughs> will. My goal is to do it at Edinburgh or I know I don't pronounce that properly, um, in like a yeah, year. Yeah, the Edinburgh Fringe. And then hopefully yeah. tour. Yeah, and then tour from there. So that's Amazing. what I'm sort of working towards. Yeah, well, definitely reach out when you've done that and we can post about it. Um, but oh, yeah, thanks lovely. so much for coming on the show and um, for chatting with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. The show's intro was composed by Sam McGrell, mixed by Max Bloom, and the artwork was created by Alec Jagodzinski.